0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series in Matthew 5 as we hear these words of Jesus that he preached on that hillside many years ago, a sermon that is so, so famous, and yet when we really think about it, so, so challenging to us. Thank you for how you have spoken to us the last few weeks, and we pray this morning as we think more about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, that we would hear from you. That you, by your spirit, would change us. You pray for the kids too as they begin a summer series looking at the kingdom of heaven as well through the parables. That they too, at their young age, would learn about this wonderful kingdom that the Lord Jesus came to bring. And that they would trust in him to be a part of that kingdom. So please come, be glorified in all that we do. For your namesake. Amen. Well, uh, Matthew Weston, who got married yesterday, began our series in these Beatitudes by introducing this idea of dystopia. If you were here, you will remember this. A negative view or portrayal of the future dystopia. We heard about a number of popular books and movies that portray this, this idea. The authors have observed the world around us and have concluded that Unless we do something about the mess of our world, then the future is even more grim than the reality is now. And so they introduced their idea of what the future will be like. And I was thinking about all the different movies about the future that I've seen. and I found it really hard to find a film, to think of a film, that portrayed the future in a positive light. It always seems to be that whatever's going to happen in the future will be bad. Well, no one wants to exist in a bad future. No one wants a world like that. And so when you watch films and read books like this, often the big message that's portrayed is, hey, look, let's wake up, let's do something about it. We are humanity, we have the power, we can change the world. Now, of course, this type of thinking doesn't only exist in books and in films, But people throughout history have observed our world and have sought to do something about the mess, to improve it, to improve humanity. And so we have. we witnessed many various ideologies and isms, political, economic, religious, social systems that have tried to create a society of peace, of justice, a society that works for everybody. Communism, fascism, socialism, capitalism, ism, ism, ism. Religious and secular-run states and governments, all promising a brighter future. Many with some good ideas and advantages, but all, in some way or another, have failed to bring this sense of utopia, a positive and successful world, Governments, some I'm sure, have started with the best of intentions. But of course we're human. And as Christians we know that we are sinful and and sin gets in the way. And our selfishness and our ambition for us takes over. And so we get dictators. We get oppression. We have divided societies. Grave immorality and war. It seems that whichever model you try and take, even Western democracy, there are faults and there are failures. We may not have an oppressive control from the state, but the emphasis on the individual makes our world a mess. There's no one right way to live. We're all striving to have what we want, and therefore we're all going to be dissatisfied. And there is no peace. And as we heard in our prayers, and as we've witnessed on the news in the last month alone, we see that there's just dissatisfaction with the way the world is going. Eighty-four people mowed down by a lorry in Nice. Soldiers in Turkey trying to overthrow the government. Fighting in South Sudan. Shootings in Munich and in America. And even in the UK, people dissatisfied with Europe. Now, I'm not going to get political this morning. But I want to ask a simple question. Who is right? Which system works best, if any? Is there a worldview? Is there a way of life that promises a happier future? Is there a system or a religion or a leader, perhaps, or a kingdom that can come to produce lasting peace, uprightness of morality, justice for everybody. We all long for that kind of utopia. But because of sinfulness, all ideas that are put forward, as we try and make it in our own effort, we fall. But as we look at this beatitude this morning, let's put our feet in the shoes of a first-century Jew sitting on the hillside listening to Jesus because they had been promised a utopian future. They'd been promised a future of hope, of justice, of salvation, of vindication, of righteousness. A future, a kingdom that will come, one kingdom that will span the whole world, not just for the Jews but for for all people. A kingdom with one ruler who will rule with righteousness and justice, and there will be reconciliation, a right, true relationship with God and with one another. Does that sound like a kingdom you want to be a part of? As we've been trying to understand Jesus' teachings in this sermon, we've begun to think about who were those people sitting on the mountainside? And we've kind of put them into two main categories all who want to see the kingdom of God come, but all who think about it coming in different ways. So we've had the zealots, we've had those who want to fight and win back their, their land, getting rid of the Romans, and we've had the religious leaders or those seeking to bring in the kingdom by moral effort. But if you've been here over the last few weeks, You've noticed that, that Jesus is introducing a new way, or a different way of bringing the kingdom. He says, the kingdom will come through me. And so in this fourth beatitude, as it flows on from the other three, Jesus speaks about righteousness. He says there's a blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That blessing is that they will be filled as in, they will get the righteousness. And so, if those blessings are met in Jesus Christ, then righteousness is met in Jesus Christ too. But you may be asking, what is this righteousness? How is it connected to the kingdom of God? What would you think of righteousness? Well, when they would have heard the word righteousness and righteousness coming, they would have thought about all the promises that I just mentioned a right relationship with God a right standard of living under God's rule vindication justice for society and if you take a whistle-stop tour through the Old Testament leading up to the coming of Jesus we see this righteousness of course first and foremost is in the nature and the character of God he is righteous a God full of righteousness he's good and just and fair and holy listen to the psalmist the lord is gracious and righteous our god is full of compassion the heavens proclaim his righteousness for he is a god of justice your righteousness god reaches to the heavens for you have done great things the lord reigns let the earth be glad let the distant shores rejoice Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. God is all about righteousness and he acts in righteousness. But what about his people? Well, then God demands righteousness of his people. He saves them, he rescues them out of Egypt and here are commandments. Here is how you should live to follow me, a life of righteousness. Righteousness. But, of course, as you read through the Old Testament story of Israel, it doesn't take long to see that righteousness does not best describe the nation. Nor their relationship with God. Because of Israel's sin, their lack of righteousness, they're led into exile. And and by the time of the New Testament, they're still under occupation. But for a faithful Jew sitting on the mountainside, The prophecy of Isaiah will be very helpful. For Isaiah, which Matthew uses a lot in his gospel, he speaks of righteousness. He speaks of a righteousness that is coming, coming from God, a righteousness that is about God's salvation in all its fullness. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. He will fill Zion with righteousness. The one to bring it, well, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. God says through Isaiah, I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. My salvation will not be delayed. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on its way and my righteousness will never fail. And so we have this promise of righteousness, of hope and justice, of salvation for the people that will never fail. And God is the one who is going to bring it. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. This is good news. It's good news to those who are listening. But how is it going to come? Is Jesus the promised one to bring righteousness? Well, we get to the New Testament. We get to Matthew's gospel. And Jesus himself says, yes, it is I who will bring the righteousness. Flip back over a page to chapter three in your Bibles. Remember the Lord Jesus, when he comes into his public ministry, he goes down to the River Jordan to be baptized. John is, hey, what are you doing? You don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says in verse 15, let it be so now, if it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it is a very complicated verse. So to make it very simple, to put it simply, he just means to bring the fullness of salvation. To fulfill things in Matthew is fulfilling prophecy, bringing to come what has been promised. And righteousness, as we've described, is that right relationship with God. That right standard of how to live. A kingdom of justice and of righteousness. So by getting baptized on that day, the Lord Jesus wasn't repenting for his own sins. Because he had none. He was identifying with his people because Jesus is the one to bring righteousness as he will do through the cross or as he has done through the cross, where he removed sin to bring people to God. So the Lord Jesus has come to bring righteousness. But the question is, do the people listening know their need for it? And do we, this morning, do we know our need for God's righteousness. Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To hunger, to thirst, or very human, very physical emotions and desires, actions. Simply hunger and thirst is often related to food and water, isn't it? We, we know that, essential bodily needs. But is there, is there a slight Difference between to be hungry and to really hunger. I often get hungry. I've been known for someone who likes to eat lots of food. I certainly get thirsty, especially in this kind of weather, always drinking water. But do I know what it really means to hunger and to thirst? Have you ever seen it? I guess our minds think of examples we see on television. People in Africa, thin children rooting around the bins looking for food. Women who walk for miles and miles just to get a jar of water. They know what it means to really hunger and thirst. And those in the first century would have known a little bit too. Food and water were precious, not to be wasted. To hunger and to thirst means that you really know that you have a need. When Baby Owen, my second son, was born just a few weeks ago, on the side of his cot in hospital was a little pamphlet, a helpful reminder. And it told you all the telltale signs of when your baby needs feeding. And so you've got some pictures of little babies, and at first they're showing small movements and making small noises. And then gradually they become more aggressive. And you know, don't you, when you put your finger on their cheek, they start to follow your finger because they're rooting for the milk. But then the last row of pictures, where pictures of babies crying their eyes out, their whole body shaking. I'm sure those of you with recent newborns know what that is like. They really know, and you really know, that they have a need. You see, just being empty is not good enough. We need to know that you are hungry and thirsty. We need to know that we are sinful, as these Beatitudes have shown us in the last few weeks. We need to know it before we know we need to have a need for righteousness. And so then, did the people hunger and thirst for righteousness? I suppose in one sense, yes, they did. Because they were longing for this kingdom, as we've seen. They wanted a good and right relationship. They wanted freedom and justice for their people. But for some, especially the religious leaders, they believed they gained righteousness through their own efforts. They believed that actually they were fine, that they were in with God. As far as they were concerned, they kept the law of righteousness perfectly. But is it this kind of righteousness that Jesus means? Some sort of self-righteousness? Well, Jesus, as he continues on in the Sermon on the Mount, a little further down in Matthew 5.20, he says, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who lived it well, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus demands a different kind of righteousness. Ultimately, it is righteousness that will be given and not earned. A righteousness in Christ. Not through keeping rules, but through a changed heart. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it shows that we don't have it. A knowledge of our emptiness shows that we need fulfilment. As we've been looking through these Beatitudes, there's this language of neediness, isn't there? This longing, experiencing the poverty of our spirit, the emptiness because of our sin, the mourning of our sin, the shame that it brings to God and to us, the lowliness of being meek, knowing that we are no better than anybody else. So when it comes to righteousness, being right before God, these beatitudes have shown us that we won't experience it in our own efforts. We're not going to get there in our own might. Whatever worldly ideology or morality that we follow, the Bible tells us that righteousness is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, it is him that we need to hunger and thirst after. And so what about, what about us? How have you found these Beatitudes so far? Have they been more challenging than you initially thought? They have been for me. When you slow down and you take verse by verse you take time to think what it means to really apply it to ourselves. We see that that after the poverty and emptiness of our spirits, that mourning, the learning to be meek towards others, it leads on to a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness, to be right before God. But also as Christians to go on living a life of righteousness, a life that pleases Him. Do you have a passion for holiness? To give a title of a, a book by J. I. Packer, "Passion for Holiness." In order to be filled, we need to be in the right place within our hearts, knowing we have a need. But then, how do we get the blessing? How how do we how are we filled? Well, we get it through. Faith in the Lord Jesus, the one who's brought the righteousness. The book of Romans is great on righteousness, and it starts off by telling us that in the gospel, in Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It's the Lord who makes us right. He is the righteous one, perfect in life, perfect in death, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And so we're not going to achieve righteousness in our own strength. We need to have faith in the one who gives it. And it's always been through faith. Even in the Old Testament, Abraham himself was given righteousness by his faith. So, as we continue on and move through these Beatitudes, as you live out your Christian life, do you go on hungering and thirsting for righteousness? For yes, in Christ we are filled, we have Christ's righteousness, yes. But we are not perfect. Not yet. So the challenge is, are we growing in Christ-likeness? Or are we happy, dare I say it, to be like the religious leaders, just living up to our own standard of righteousness, ticking all the boxes that people see? Living a life of righteousness, of course, is hard. It's sermon series is called a counter-revolution. It's counter-cultural, and it's counter-cultural for a reason. It's because it's against the flow. It's against our own natural sinfulness. Even in churches, sometimes, there can be a, a standard of morality that is acceptable. We can give ourselves a pat on the back, thinking that we are a good church. But surely, that will lead us to complacency. A loss of hunger... Not growing in character and godliness. A church that doesn't grow in righteousness and therefore doesn't grow in the kingdom. Jesus goes on in the, in the Sermon on the Mountain. He says in chapter 6, famous verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Is living for his righteousness a priority? Is righteousness more important than food and clothes. Jesus exposes to us the lack of righteousness. If we say that we don't murder, he says, let me tell you what it really means to murder. If you say you fool in anger, you're committing murder. If you say, I don't commit adultery, Jesus says, well, if you look at another person lustfully, you have. I love, but do you love your enemies? I help, but do you really give of all that you have, expecting nothing in return? Do we fully know what it means to be completely righteous? Are we growing in righteousness? Are we pursuing it? And and if we are, can you imagine... Can you imagine the difference that it would make if we pursued righteousness not by just doing good things, but a deeper, deeper within our own hearts, within our character? What would this kind of kingdom look like? What would it look like to those who are watching on, to one another? If we are able to show that we live as we live for the kingdom of God, as we live with Jesus Christ as our king, as we come to faith in him, to be put right with him, as we follow him by faith, trusting in his spirit to help us live kingdom-like lives. Would we display a way of life? Would we display a kingdom that works, that answers the world's problems? We would indeed face persecution for righteousness, We'll look at that at Beatitude number eight. But would we display in some sense a picture of what that final kingdom of righteousness will be like when Jesus comes to bring it finally? Maybe. But we need to hunger and thirst for it. We need to do something about it. Not to produce the righteousness in our own effort, but we need to come to Jesus. He gives it. He gives us the power. He gives us his spirit to help us. Because he is the one who has done it for us. But let's also be a church that helps one another to grow in righteousness. Let's encourage one another to pursue it. Personally, within our own lives, but but together as a church, to pursue righteousness in our community. In the full extent of it, to see justice done so that as we wait for Jesus to return, we can now reflect that future kingdom. Ask one another this week, how are you growing in righteousness? The promise of full and complete righteousness to cover the face of the earth is, of course, still to come. And many of these beatitudes that we've seen so far have this now and not yet aspect to them. The kingdom has come, But it is not yet fully come. One day Jesus will return and all justice and all righteousness will be demonstrated for all to see. How do we live until that day? The Apostle Peter tells us that you ought to live godly and holy lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction for the heavens and by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless, and at peace with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your righteousness revealed. Righteousness here on earth. Living a perfect life. Displaying righteousness and justice as he walked the streets. Dying a death. The righteous for the unrighteous. Him for us. We thank you that through faith in him, we can be right with you that we are right with you. Lord, help us. Help us to grow in becoming more like the Lord Jesus. Help us to hunger and to thirst for it, to not be satisfied with where we are, but to want to grow. And help us as a church to do that too, to encourage one another in our characters, in our actions, in our words, to display that beautiful righteousness. Of the kingdom of God, and we we long, we long to see, the kingdom of heaven displayed, come in this church, so that it would, reflect, on those in this community, that they would see, Jesus, through how we live and how we speak. Lord, we ultimately pray that the Lord Jesus would come, and He would return, and He would bring full, righteousness and justice on a new heaven and a new earth. We long for that day. And we pray we live for you until that comes. Amen.